Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum, and coming up on this week's episode, Adam Burrish and I dive into Chicago's current three-game Western Conference road swing that started on Tuesday night in Las Vegas. We look ahead to Mike Gapsky, head athletic trainer's 2500th NHL game upcoming on Thursday. And Steger himself, Chris Versteeg, calls into the show ahead of his one more shift on Sunday as the Minnesota Wild visit the United Center. All that and more coming up on Blackhawks Insider, presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. It's all about the drive. Hey, it's Adam Burrish. On the road to the top, it's all about drive. The all-new Chevy Blazers got some serious game with available driver control mode. Shift from touring to all-wheel drive to sport to tow and haul. This ride is built for Chicago weather. Yeah, on and off the ice. Turn your Blazer into a mobile hotspot with available 4G LTE Wi-Fi, keeping you connected 24-7. Check out the all-new Chevy Blazer at ChevyDrivesChicago.com. Drive. It's how you get where you're going. Welcome into Blackhawks Insider, Carter Baum. Adam Burrish here. Our friend Chris Cook is on the road with the Blackhawks on their current three-game Western Conference swing that started off on Tuesday night, Burr, with a uh, less-than-impressive 5-1 loss against the Vegas Golden Knights. A A difficult game. It seemed like the first period they were a little more evenly matched. The second period, the wheels started to fall off and, you know, you go down another defenseman, Calvin DeHaan, didn't finish the game with an injury, a, a shoulder injury. Uh, he's going to be headed back to Chicago for evaluation. So obviously ruled out for the next two games, but things not going the Blackhawks way last night in, in many fashions. And uh, Corey Crawford, another strong game by a goalie. But other than that, you know, things going south very quickly last night uh, in Vegas. Yeah, it was a tough one. I'll, I'll try and keep my recap within a 20-minute time frame here. Um, you talked about DeHaan. That was probably the one thing that was the most disappointing, and I feel bad for the guy. He had shoulder surgery this summer, comes back, started, didn't go through training camp because he was rehabbing this thing. And I can tell you as a player, when you see it was a little bump that he got from Stone. It wasn't a big hit. It wasn't a, He just didn't get blown up in the corner. It was a little rub-out, interference, penalty, but it was the way he fell on it. It was really ginger. It, it was, and those are the ones when it's not obvious, when it's not a big collision, and you just kind of fall on it. Those are the ones, and you see a guy skate off like that, you know it's not good. It's almost those like non-contact injuries yeah. that are always the worst. Yep, you know it when a guy's skating and his knee kind of buckles and he just skates right off the ice. You're like, well, that can't be good. If it didn't, it wasn't even any collision. So I, I feel bad for him there. That's tough, and you rehab so hard, and then these things happen. So it didn't sound good um, in the post-game interview either. So um, hopefully um, we get some kind of good news in the next couple of days with him. Corey Crawford was amazing in this game. Um, it was a kind of a goaltender duel in that first period. It was, yes, I think uh, um, Zach Smith gave an interview with Eddie Olchek between periods and kind of said, well, the coaches don't like it. And what he was saying was the players love this stuff, back and forth, mm-hmm. two-on-ones giving up, chances giving up back and forth. Um, coaches don't love it, but it was entertaining. That first period was a fun period of hockey to watch, and it was 0-0 still. The Hawks hung in there. They, I think the, the official stats were the chances were pretty even, um, and they were fine. They were in good shape, and, and you know people you know may say, well, you're playing against this Knights team that runs and guns, and, and they're fast, and they create, and I think that's also what makes them susceptible and gets them in trouble is they give up a lot too. So 
I think you have to kind of play that style with them, and you've got to capitalize on your chances and keep creating. And the, and the Blackhawks did that. Um, unfortunately, they got a little loose, and they started giving a few up, and they weren't able to. If you're going to counter, you got to put your head down and beat guys back into your own zone, and and they weren't able to do that. Um, defensemen, uh, we heard some interviews after the game where some players said, we just weren't responsible defensively, and you can jump in, but you, gotta, you can't get beat back up ice, and we saw too much of that. But I think if you ask to a man, the guys felt bad for Corey in that one because he was awesome, and he showed some frustration after the second um, and then and then towards the end of the game, and he should have um, because he stood on his head last night. You mentioned the even first period. Shots were 12-12 after the yeah. first. I think shot attempts were relatively even as well. The second period, 16-8. to Vegas outshot the Blackhawks by a 2-1 to margin, and then 9-9 in the third, but at that point you're down 3 nothing. You're trailing. You're trying to chase the game and, and do what you can, and, you know, it's difficult, especially on the road against a good Western Conference team that you've already seen twice this year. They kind of know these two teams know each other and have really felt each other out. It's just it's tough when you fall behind like that in a big hole, uh, and it's something that we've seen a couple times now. And that seems to be it was the thing at the beginning of the year. It was kind of the start of the game, the first 10, 15 minutes where you fall behind early and you're trying to fight back and. Now it's almost become kind of stretches. You have the game in Boston, which you win in overtime, but you have a 3 nothing lead and you let arguably one of the best teams in the NHL come back and send that game to overtime. It just seems to be little stretches like a period that are really an issue. Yeah, I would say um, I know we got a lot of uh, Bears fans that are listeners here too. And if you want to compare it to football, it'd be kind of like, you know, if you got this Bears team and all of a sudden you're down 21-0, it's a tough hole to get in because you don't have an offense – uh, that can score 35 points a night and or or a, a defense um, right now at least for the Bears that that can limit teams uh, to a lot of chances and that's kind of what you saw last night with that first period was fine a lot of chances it was entertaining but it was still 0-0 you're in a good spot if you get down to a team in hockey that is a run and gun team like Las Vegas um, and you got to start trading chances back and forth you got to start gambling it's really hard for most teams in the NHL to play against that they're built for that style this Blackhawks team isn't built for a run and gun um, kind of style and if you keep it tight 1-0 0-0 maybe a 2 to 1 game you can still take some chances you can open it up at times but you still got to be responsible that game once you get down to the Vegas Golden Knights anybody in the NHL 2 or 3-0 they're tough to come back for because they're not going to change the way they play. You have to change the way you play. You've got to start gambling. Uh, they're going to create too much, and you're going to give up too much at that style. So they were in a good good spot, excuse me. Um, but once it gets opened up against that team, that Vegas team knows they had you. Um, the over-under last night, we do a little bit of gambling tips on our TV show, and it was uh, Crawford 31 saves, and we didn't bet on that, but it was over-under 31 saves. And um, So for you gamblers, we got any gambler listen, listeners out there, it's when you see a run-and-gun team that scores a lot of goals, bet the over. <laughs> bet the over <laughs> in shots, okay? Oh, and also, we have a good record. We'd recorded last week. You know, yeah. the Blackhawks had lost a couple games, I think three in a row. We recorded with, you know, Patrick Sharp joined us. Yep. We said, you know, this is a big trip, the mom's trip. You just got to get a point in Boston and see what happens in New Jersey, a team that has a new coach. The Blackhawks get all four points on the trip, feeling good. You know, you come back, you lose in a shootout at home on Sunday. and So you, you got get, a gambling tip? Get right back to it. I have I don't have the stats in front of me, but yeah. I think after we record a podcast, the Blackhawks have a good game. Yep. We recorded like with it. Stan Bowman and they went out and beat the Dallas Stars later that night. So 
I don't know. I mean, playing Arizona on on Thursday evening in Arizona, a team that you're familiar with, that yeah. you played on Sunday, you had some success early on in that game and kind of let them back into the game as well. I don't know. We'll see if the form holds true. Yeah. But by and large, I think we always end up talking about how things aren't going well. And then they turn right around. So and if they win in Arizona, well, we can take some credit, can't we? We can. We yeah. absolutely can. Right. We'll be doing a podcast before every single game. Yep. Uh, no, we won't. <laughs> but uh, things will be going well. I do want to talk about the Arizona game because a lot of recognition goes on the ice for the players and everything that happens there. But it's going to be a special night for a gapper, the head athletic trainer, Mike Gapsky, who will work I wanted to say play, but he will work his 2,500th game, regular season game. That doesn't include playoffs. It doesn't include preseason. Uh, There's a lot of other games in there as well, but 2,500 games over 33 seasons. Uh, He was working for the Blackhawks, Burr, when you were learning to skate almost. Yeah, I was three, and Cannon Taves were alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, a big milestone for him. Uh, What does Gapper mean for the players. He's one of the guys that you see him running on the ice when someone has an injury and, uh, you know, it's always in a bad situation, but it's those guys in the locker room and Troy Parchman as well, who handles the equipment side of things. They are really the lifeblood of, for a lot of these players, kind of what gets them through the season uh, for the most part. Yeah. So for, for people that are listening, when you watch a Blackhawks game on TV and they show the bench and the backup goalies there on the left-hand side of the bench, there's a guy standing over his shoulder. That's Mike Gapsky and he's the head medical trainer. So, you know, when somebody gets hurt on the ice, he's the guy that's kind of got to figure out how to run in tennis shoes on the ice, down the ice to get to that player that's down. And then he takes him down the tunnel. He takes him back into his training office and, and helps get him the attention that he needs. And um, he's a guy that Gapper's a guy that I, I don't think I've ever he, – he doesn't seem like he has a bad day ever. He's always the same person. He's got the same um, smile. He's got the same wry sense of humor every single day. And – um, I think you hear a lot of athletes talk about the training staff on their teams and, and what those guys mean and what they do. And uh, people watching, they don't get to see it, but these guys work the longest hours. They're there at six or seven in the morning. We're all out of there. We're there at eight or nine in the morning, and we're out of there by noon or two, one or two o'clock. Those guys are leaving then at four or five o'clock, and then they're back at six in the morning. And then when you land on a city in the road at one in the morning, they're unloading bags and they're going to the rink. We're all going to the hotel and going to sleep. They've got to go to the rink and unpack all the medical equipment. So tomorrow when we show up at the rink and you need treatment, the you know all the machines are plugged in, everything's turned on, all the tapes out, um, you know all that kind of stuff that even as players you don't see it, but we know it goes on. And for the the casual fan, it makes our lives so much easier when we show up to a rink on the road and it looks like our locker room back here at the United Center. It looks like you're back right at home. You don't miss a beat. Um, you kind of wonder, how does this traveling circus put this together? Well, it's when we're sleeping, they're working. Um, and, and, and Gapper's probably as good as there is in the business. You don't, you don't stick around this long if you're, if, if you're not a good person, first of all. You got to get along with the guys. The guys have to trust you and respect you. And, and it's not even just the players, too. I mean, there's times when guys will call and say, hey, you know, Gapper, my wife needs something or my kid's sick or in the summertime, you're, you're somewhere and, um, you know, you, you did something in training. Hey, I need some help or I need you to call my, a doctor here and find something for me here. And 
they're on call 24 hours a day. So he's a, uh, he's a, he's a pretty special guy. And, um, we always used to make fun of him when I was playing for his bad sport coats. Uh, Seabrook always and Duncan would ask him like, is that a horse blanket you're wearing on, on your back there? But I always thought his sport jackets were pretty cool. I thought he looked kind of trendy and, and cool, but he was, uh, yeah, for certainly one of the best. You mentioned always being all call on call and, the great Bob Verde has a, a column up on Blackhawks.com. He talked to Gapper and kind of walked through his his career, but he puts a hypothetical situation in there of if Jonathan Taves is playing golf in the summer and he swings the club and he feels a little twinge in his back, he's going to do two things. He's going to finish the round because yep. you always got to finish oh, the yeah. round. But And then he's, his first call is going to be to Gapper. Say, hey, this happened. This is what happened. I don't think a lot of people understand the casual fans – this person becomes a key instrument of your life. Every little detail on your body, he has to know about. He has to know when you stub your toe, you know, against the bed frame yep. because maybe it could be broken. You have to get it looked at. I mean, there's really no one who gets to know you better than the athletic training staff and the equipment staff. And they take the brunt of it too. And you, 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 you got to realize that you've got these athletes that are. I mean, you are ultra in tune with your body. I mean, you feel everything. You know how you're supposed to feel. You know when you're feeling great, how your body feels. When you wake up in the morning, um, you know how your left knee feels because you got hit there yesterday and how it should feel compared to – I mean, you know every, you're, you're ultra, ultra in tune with your body at that point. And when things aren't right, um, you're crabby some days and you're going to go to – and who are you texting and calling at weird hours of the nights and complaining and, and you know, uh, uh, I was going to use a swear word there and, I, and I'll, <laughs> I'll stop, but complaining, uh, it goes to him and that's who you call. I, I, had, I had knee surgery on my ACL in 2009 and, and I remember I was a pain in his butt because every – you know, you're, you're doing your rehab and you're progressing and then you take a step back and it's like – texting him at seven o'clock at night and texting him at six in the morning and, and at, at four o'clock in the afternoon then because this doesn't feel right. I'm doing this at home and I just got home from this treatment and this is bothering me now. And now my hip hurts and what the hell's going on here? And I thought this was supposed to be getting better. Now I'm taking a step back. And I think sometimes you just want to vent and talk to somebody because you, you want to play and you want your body to feel perfect. And those poor guys are the ones that, that take the heat. And you're, you're yelling at them like they can do anything. You're not going to the doctor. He's probably thinking, call the doctor. I didn't do the surgery. I'm just here to, <laughs> to, to give you some guidance and to get you appointment, yeah. get you where you need, and, and help you when I can. But, um, you know, I, I remember that I was, God, I was like, I, I was really, I'm always complaining to him. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wrote him a note one time and just said, sorry, and I know I've been a pain in your butt, and I appreciate all the work you do because he was doing everything for me, him and, and you know, his his you know, counterpart JT, they, they do a lot for us as athletes. And, and when you don't feel perfect, um, you know, everything flows down river, they say, and it, it usually piles up on him, but it's amazing how he kind of handles all that. You got 20, 25 egomaniacs in a locker room, all complaining that their bodies don't feel good. And he always has a way to somehow settle you down and let you know everything's going to be okay. And your body's okay. I looked at it. You're fine. You'll feel better tomorrow. And he kind of diffuses the situation. He's got a real gift at that. Well, and it's not just you doing that. It's 23 other players on the roster. It's the medical staff probably down in the AHL who, when something happens, sometimes defers up to him as 
the head person yeah. in the organization. And by the way, we're recording this in the office, and I've sat here a dozen times in the last month, and somebody's calling Gapper for a, mm -hmm. uh, something. I don't feel good. I'm sick. Let's call Gapper. People in the front office, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone. Everyone goes to him, yeah. and there's not a single complaint. Never. So 2,500 games, a massive accomplishment. Big congratulations to him and uh, some well-deserved recognition and, and yeah, respect because uh, 33 years in the league is incredible. No one in his position has done it longer, uh, and it's hard to argue that anyone in his position does it better. And I'm, and I don't know, we're not probably supposed to talk about it, but usually the players get the trainer a pretty cool gift for these milestones. And I always like to hear what what guys come up with. Usually, it's a watch. I, there was just a video online. Buffalo Sabers wheeled out a uh, what was it like a snow a snow snowmobile mm -hmm. onto the ice for a trainer that I think hit a thousand games. 1500 games so i think that's always kind of cool and when, when players or trainers hit milestones the players all pitch up and get a nice big gift so i'm anxious to see what what they get them when i think i overheard in the locker room a few weeks ago someone asked about it you know hey yeah th this is coming up you know what are you doing and they're like no we know we're we have something oh, they got in the works ready? okay they say but we're not trying to ruin the surprise we want right, to we want to surprise them so We'll see. Right. We'll, uh, we'll have to get the reports yeah. back from either the road or for when the team gets back. Yeah. Uh, there will be a, a celebration here at the United Center around one of the games later on uh, once the team gets back home. But uh, We'll fill really... you guys in next week. Exactly. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll send Burr back and get the full details yeah. on what exactly Gapper got, and uh, we'll give you the full report, uh, at least what we can. Yeah. So another celebration uh, before that one on Sunday. Uh, a guy we've talked about some already this season for different reasons, but Chris Versteeg as part of the 2010 celebration is going to be taking his one more shift. We have him on the phone in just a moment, but uh, Burr, this guy's been through the ups and the downs and came back, was trying to play in Rockford, dealt with some injuries, said, you know, hey, I'm taking up ice time from guys that really need it, guys that are trying to cut their teeth. Yeah. We'll hear it from him, but... Uh, just your thoughts on, on Christopher Stieg and his career as he kind of comes to a close here. One of the, by far the funniest teammates I ever had. Uh, he m makes you laugh nonstop. Um, you know, his perspective on things was always funny. It was always different. Um, and, and probably, you know, of, of all these three Stanley Cups here, probably, you know, you think about, I, I would say probably him and Dave Boland are probably two of the most underappreciated guys that were so skilled and so good and so important um, to the Stanley Cups that were won here. And, and he's right there at the top of that list. He was an incredible skill, incredible talent. I remember when he got traded here from Boston, or he was in Providence at the time. And um, just a, a fun, funny guy to be around. Um, one of the best. I mean, I just think of him rapping in the locker room and, and, and that shtick that he used to do. It was, it was incredible. And he would do it at the bar with us when nobody was watching. And uh, he knew a lot of songs too, but yeah, certainly uh, a guy. Just when I when I think about him, and I, you say Chris Versteeg, I think every guy that played with him, you just kind of smile and laugh and say, "God, I wish he was right here right now." And we were sitting having a beer together, but yeah, one of the all-time greats. And now joining us on the phone, none other than Chris Versteeg himself. Chris, thanks for joining us uh, and giving us a few minutes of time today. And we're excited to have you coming back to the United Center for one more shift on Sunday as the Minnesota Wild are in town. That's always uh, an honor to be on the same phone line as Adam Burrish. Yeah. To duplicate this and know I'm coming back for one last shift where I'm sure uh, there's some happy fans and some fans thinking twice about it. But I think it's uh, 
really exciting moment for me, and I, I'm happy to be on the line with you guys. Thanks. Let's start first. Where are you at right now, and where where are we talking to you at? Where where are you where are you calling from? I'm from I'm in Brooklyn, Ontario, right now, where me and my wife have a home here uh, in the summertime, and so I'm back here right now. I was actually over in Slovakia, played a couple games with my brother, and uh, now I'm heading back here and hopefully heading over to the Spangler here in a couple weeks. Wow! So you retired. Um from playing over here about a month ago, how'd that happen? And, and, and talk us through that a little bit, why you decided to do and what you were, what you were thinking. Well, I think for me, the biggest thing was, is, uh, I, di- I didn't have it anymore. I, I, I don't know if I was put into an NHL situation, you know, if I was playing in the NHL and, uh, I know I could still physically play and I felt like I could play at a good level and a high level. But the thing was, is I don't think I was willing to go through the grind of the minors and do do all that and, and kill myself one more time, you know, either to help the kids down there and, or get another shot in NHL. I didn't feel like, uh, I had it in me. I, I kind of got hurt a little bit at camp and then played with it. And when I was sitting down for the three weeks, I was out, that's where I really sat down with myself and thought about it. And I was taking ice time from young kids and I could just see it in their eyes, how much they want it. And I was kind of sitting there on the bench, just almost hoping the game would end in that sense where it was like, man, I just, I can't, uh, I can't fake it. And it's not fair to anyone. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was there at the end of my career too. And it started bugging me when there was 22 year old or 21 year old kids skating by me and saying, Hey, let the kids play old man. You suck. Like get out of here. Uh, oh yeah. The guys they said that? that a couple of times. Yeah. Oh yeah. They said, I heard a couple, let the kids play. You don't got it anymore. And <laughs> the other one was, we were playing in Chicago, and every time I was out there, every shift, a guy was slashing my, you know, slashing my laces, or I'd get an elbow in the face off a face off and getting chirped. And I was just like, man, like I, I would love to tear these guys to shreds verbally, but I just, you know, I'm I'm 33 now, and I got kids, and I'm like, I I, I still let them have a little bit of peace of my mind, just out of pride for myself and for some laughs for the boys on the bench, but. At the end of the day, I'm like, could I really see myself doing this for another 70 games? And I, I just, there's no way. And then eating a soggy, cold chicken parmesan sub on the bus and a six-hour bus ride to another cold, cold town. You weren't into that anymore. No, uh, I mean, you know what? Hey, uh, the miners has come a long way from when we played there, Burr and, and Norfolk. Man, like back in the day, you were it was basically like you were getting a slice of pizza after every game. And, yep. Now they have their protein shakes, and it's it actually ran, I would say, like a, a bottom-end NHL club, the Rockford Ice Hog. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a team that they have all their computers, they have really good dinners, they have a really good chef, they have everything they need. And I remember when we went to Rockford back in the day, they had the washers, and you'd have to put quarters in the washers just to dry your laundry. <laughs> you know, now they don't have any of those issues, and things have come a long way from the miners, so... It, it, I would say from when we started in the NHL, the minors has almost ran like that. Yeah. They now, anyway. Yeah, it is first class. And so you got done, you decided to be done. And, and then almost right away, a couple, a week later, or so you went over to Europe to, to play with your brother. Where's he playing? And you guys had never had the chance to play together. Is that right? No. And I, I knew kind of this was going on the whole time when I told, I talked to Bernie and Kinger and I said, Hey, like, I, I told I had the, the conversation with Kinger, and he kind of was at that place in his career in his life, and he said he's kind of been through it. But I told him, I'm like, man, I'd rather be playing with my brother, sipping mimosas and playing two games a week than, you know, playing three, four games a week and getting slashed and chirped and everything every single game, you know. 
Uh, so they kind I told him that this is, you know, I, I'd like to go play with my brother and head over to Europe and finish my career with him. So they kind of knew that. And that's kind of after, you know, when I, I went home and I was with the family for a little bit and then I decided to head over and, and play some games and get in shape, uh, hopefully for the up, uh, upcoming Spangler Cup. So it was, it was already in the works in the sense that, you know, near the end, I knew I was going to go play with them. And so for so people listening, so they know the Spengler Cup is they pretty much pick the best Canadians that are not in the NHL to go over to, to Switzerland, and you're in the most beautiful city in the world playing in this tournament against some European teams. And so you're hoping to do that. You want to play in that tournament and then play play more with your brother after that, or what's the plan after that Spengler Cup? Yeah, that Spengler Cup, man, I don't think people actually understand. You know, it's always like, ah, the NHL, the NHL, and also just with all other pro leagues in Europe, you know, you don't really realize how good these players yeah. are, you know, and how how good you have to be to make the NHL. I think that's something that I've kind of learned over my last couple of years, and I'm sure you did too, is, man, you don't just have, like, players in North America to be better than. You have players all over the world that are very high elite players. So, like, for the Spangler Cup team to be the Spangler Cup team, that's a huge honor for me. You know, you're you're still considered one of the better players uh, from your country to go represent them. And so, for me, it's uh, it, it's unbelievable, and it's an experience where I'm I'm flying over my parents, my my uh, wife, kids, everyone, her parents, her family. So, uh, I'm pumped about it. And then after that, uh, it's kind of played by ear, but it. The plan right now is to, yeah, go finish the season with my brother and then obviously retire for good at the end of the year. Well, good. And then, so obviously you're coming back for one more shift and we're kind of spending the year, the Blackhawks are spending the year sort of honoring that 2010 team, the 2010 10-year reunion. So let's talk a little bit about that and about me. Let's get kind of get it back towards me a little bit too. So, um, <laughs> But you're coming back. When you think back to that year, you know, Dave Boland was with us a little while ago. Just generally speaking, you think back to 2010, what pops into your head? Uh, just friendships, like friendships and, and amazing times. You know, Stanley Cup would be the obvious answer, but these are people, everyone from this team is, you know, I've played on other teams and I have made very, very good friendships, but uh, there's always always something different about winning together and the way we did and how we all played in the minors together, most of us, and the way we went about it and hung out and, you know, all our wives and girlfriends would hang out or it was just a, it was a great, uh, overall party, I guess. And it was a great time to be alive as a, as a team and friends. And, uh, man, it's just, it was an exciting time. And it, it's really a fairy tale when you look back in March, the Blackhawks will be doing some type of, uh, uh honoring of that team. Is there a guy that you haven't seen in a while that you're like, dang, I can't wait to see this guy and have a beer with this guy? Yeah, Cristobal Huey. Me yeah, too, he'd be man. one of the guys. I've seen most of the guys off that team. Like, literally, I, I don't know who I haven't really seen besides Cristobal. He'd be the only guy. But I know he was playing in Lausanne in the NLA, the Swiss Swiss League, for I think probably five or six years after us. And I, I don't know. He might even still be involved in that uh in that team, but he'd be a guy that I'd really like to see. I enjoyed Cristobal. He was an amazing guy. Yeah, he was. He was one of the nicest. He had a great Super Bowl party the one year at his cool home. He had this sick house, I remember. But yeah, he was. Yeah, remember he had that restaurant too? That yeah. French restaurant? Yep. That he took he us to. And... Part, of... part owner yeah, of it, I that think. Place was unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I don't know if it's still around in Chicago, but the food and yeah, that was a, that was a sick place. Yeah, he always had good food. 
good house, well dressed, and drank good wine. So I uh, man, he he dressed he dressed well. He, I was like, that's why I wear high tops now. It's first of all, you know, yeah. I was like, this guy's rocking Louis Louis Vuitton high top shoes and I was like I gotta get a pair of those that's when I went out and bought my first pair because Cristobal was wearing like this guy looks so cool I I always ask you know I asked Sharp about it too but you leave the Blackhawks then after winning a Stanley Cup and then you got to come back again what was that like I'm I'm so jealous of that I always wanted the chance to come back and play here I never did but you were able to come back again Uh, was it as awesome as I think it would be to come back and then obviously you cap it off with another cup yeah, it was great. It was something special. I know after 2010, when I think it was 11 of us left because of cap issues, I know you're looking at the players that all went back there and like they they weren't part of building it. You know what I mean? They weren't part of like going through no fans and, you know, bear, and you go to a nightclub or a restaurant and you pull out your NHL card and they're like, Blackhawks, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you know, so it's like, we were there from the start, I felt like, when it was the beginning and, and the ball was rolling. And then all of a sudden, in 2010, we're all gone. And it was just like, man, look at these guys reaping the benefits yeah. of what, you know, we helped build. And then, uh, so when I so when I came back in 2013, you know, I see Andrew Shaw and all these guys, and they're easy up and around the room. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this guy, man. Like, what is he <laughs> kidding me right now? And he ends up being a really, really close friend of mine. But I remember when I came back, I'm like, this guy's living it. You know, he's, he's a celebrity in the best city in the world and uh you know there was jealousy there for sure but i came back and i came back in another situation where i was excited to be back i was excited to see the new practice ring all the other stuff that we didn't get to see and then again obviously the third time i got to see the even better practice ring they built but uh when i came back yeah it was something crazy it was special and you get to see all the fans and i remember my first game was against the Sharks and scored a goal, and they did a uh, big salute and everything. And it was a it was a memory that I'm I'm always going to be, you know, grateful for and remember. Fair to say, or would you agree? When I left here, it everything I did, I compared it to the Blackhawks, and it probably hurt me a little bit because nothing seemed to be as good as as playing here and playing for this team and and the organization. And I think I, I kind of I think it hurt me a little bit. Did you feel any of that? hundred percent. Yeah. It hurt. It hurt me a lot. And, uh, I, I think it was really until the 2012 year in Florida where I kind of let it go a little bit. And I had like my best year ever before I got hurt. But, uh, that's where I really kind of think got to let it go. And then by that time I came back off ACL and I was traded back to the Hawks. So <laughs> it was, uh, I kind of let it go finally after a couple of years. And then uh, I came back, so I, I get what you're saying. You you do measure everything, and uh, at times, like you're hoping the grass is greener on the other side. And what, what the standard that what the Hawks set was just obviously the pinnacle, and it was it was very hard to match. Two cups, can you compare them? One better than the other? Anything? Oh, 2010 was the best. 2010, hands down. There's nothing like it. And you're not yeah. just saying that because I'm sitting here, are you? No, it's no, and I would. I wouldn't. I don't know what other guys would say. And obviously, I had a much bigger role too in 2010 because I, you know, things worked out really well that year. But just uh, it's your first time winning uh, a group of guys that you know, and the group of guys in 2015 was great too. But to me, there's nothing like the 2010 group. And and for me, there's no better team than the 2010 team. You know, I think if you're looking at them all as a whole and. It was just such an amazing group and an amazing cast of characters and guys that all had certain personalities that were willing to 
one up each other each and every day. And I think it's something that's missing a little bit in the NHL today because of the way uh, things are. I really wish the NHL would look at being a little bit more like the NBA and showing more personalities. I think that's what we kind of did in 2010 yeah. was guys were always trying to show their personalities, show different sides of them and really <laughs> bring people into their homes and, uh, and not in a fake way. You know what I mean? Not in a way where it's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Christopher Stieg and it's like, oh, look at this guy. This is, this is not real. We kind of tried to be real. I felt about it. And I feel like that's the way the NBA does it. And, that's something that uh, I thought we did so well. Yeah, when you would sing and dance and do your rapping, that wasn't just when the cameras were on either. We, we saw that late night. We saw it at a bar. We would see it on the bus. Um, all that stuff people saw on the cameras and the stuff that Blackhawks TV put out, that, it was, that was real. It, it was real. It was right. I mean, I remember, I remember singing karaoke with Jay Cutler at a nightclub one night. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That was like, that was real stuff. It was fun and we all enjoyed each other and man, it was every night I was kind of forced to sing. I would say I, I kind of liked the attention, so I wouldn't say I'd be forced, but it was, it was real for sure. It was us. So when you skate on the ice, last one here for you, when you come back and, and skate on the ice coming up here, what, what, what do you think you'll be feeling? What were those emotions be like for you? I don't know. I think just thankful, mm -hmm. thankful and grateful about how lucky I am. You know, I, if you were to tell me when I was sitting at my billet house in Red Deer in 2006, where I was playing defense for Red Deer and, you know, maybe drinking a little too much beer and pretty much didn't think about the NHL, that this kind of life and everything was going to be there for me in, you know, 15 years, I would have told you I was crazy or you're crazy. So, and for the Blackhawks to be, you know, the main part of that, it's, it's going to be something I think I'm going to think about a lot. And I think my parents will think about and everyone there and family and, I think it'll be emotional, you know, like I said, it's, I'm not a Hall of Famer, I'm no one like that, and I don't, you know, expect to ever be treated like that or anything, but when you can kind of have a moment like this for some fans, you know, to say thank you to the fans, and then, you know, to say thank you to you, it's it's a moment that uh, is very special, especially for the guys, like I said, that aren't aren't the Hall of Famers. Well, that's awesome. I think fans will be excited to see you. I can't wait to see you. I always get a big smile on my face when I get to see you, and have some laughs. So have fun this weekend, and I uh, can't wait to see you. Hey, Burr, I, I forgot to say, you know, I was like, I have these role models when I was a hockey player, yeah, you know, and going. now I'm going, into this, I, I'm going into this media world now, and I'm like, who, who should be my role model to look to, and why does Adam Burrish keep popping up? For good reason. I got your back, no. man. You, any, anything you need, you know you ask, I can, uh, I'll help you, buddy. Steger, are you going to yeah, yeah, choose you, him over Patrick Sharp? There's a battle there. Come yeah. on. No, Burr's got a little more swag on camera, so Thank I think you. i got to follow him. Thank yeah. you. Hear that, Sharpie? Yeah. Where's Sharpie? I, you know, he's not there. Never mind. He's not here. He, we, we got him here last no, week. Sharp, he's, he's probably doing something more important right now. Sharpie's got the pretty face, and everybody loves him. And, but you know what I mean? Character, guys like me, we got to have something else to bring to the table. So yeah, you hopefully, and I got to uh, the hard way. Now, you don't got to do it the hard way either, like I think I do. But I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to, you know, show some personality and have fun with it. And so I'd like to thank you, you know, for being obviously a new role model in my my new career coming up. Thank you for that. I don't think you need much help showing personality, though, buddy. You're just fine there. All right, brother. Well, right. thank you guys very much. See you this weekend. Yeah. Later. Well, that will do it for this week's episode. A special thank you to Chris Versteeg for joining us 
by phone and full details on his one more shift right now at blackhawks.com for adam burrish i'm carter Baum. we'll see you next week on blackhawks insider presented by chevy drive chicago drive what kane and taves drive <laughs>